Amen. Praise the Lord, everyone. What a great day. Isn't it a great day? This is a fantastic day. It's, it's, yesterday was a good day. Tomorrow's going to be a good day, but today's a great day. And the reason why today is a great day, one, we're in the house of God, and two, it's Paul Markle's birthday, and I just like to... Uh, Any chance to embarrass someone, you never pass it out. So. Oh, I, we're continuing uh, on the series, or in the series, Unlikely Heroes. And today I want to talk to you about uh, the Hebrew children in De uh, Daniel chapter 3. I want to talk to you today about a hill worth dying on. A hill worth dying on. Now, when my... When, if you don't know me, I have three daughters, and all of them went to university. And when they were in, in, uh, in classes, they'd come back, and they would tell me about some of their professors, and some of them were good, and some of them weren't, and some of them wanted them to, to uh, recite things that they didn't necessarily agree with. And, and I always asked them this one question. Is it a hill you're willing to die on? Is it something that is going against who you are and what you absolutely believe, your core value, or is it something that you can tell them what they want to hear and then go on and live your life? It's a good question, isn't it? If you look at our culture today, there are a lot of hills even in Florida now, we have lots of hills. Can you imagine? Now, the term, came, it's a military strategy. It's uh, from Bunker Hill, Cemetery Ridge, Hamburger Hill. And the whole premise of that, of that phrase is that it's to have the higher ground. You have an advantage. And those that are of a military mindset understand that if you're going to take a hill you're going to have some casualties. And the question is, is it worth it? Is it worth the casualties to take the hill? Now, I will tell you that there are some things in life that are worth fighting for. Uh, um, an American film director, Susie Kasem, says, stand for what it's right, even if it means standing alone. There are some times that, that you have to stand and stand firm. Jenna Galbert, she's a Facebook, a social media humanitarian, and she said, in a world that demands you to obey the wrong rules, being rebellious is right. In other words, if it's something that absolutely goes against your core value, and sometimes you have to stand up and, and speak up. There are times that, that you have to allow your voice to be heard. Albert Einstein once said, The world will not be destroyed by those who do evil, but by those who watch them without doing anything. Plato, the Greek philosopher, said, Your silence gives consent. See, Christians are, are commanded in the Scripture 
to contend for the faith. Jude 1.3 says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write to you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. So there are times in this life according to Jude, that we need to stand up and defend the gospel, whether it's within the church about uh, theology or whether it's outside in the world. So the question is not that we need to stand up, but when is the right time to stand? What hills should we defend? What hill should we conquer? Should we conquer everything that we disagree with? Well, you're going to be busy. I believe the book of Daniel can give us some insight into this. We were reading in, in uh, Daniel chapter 3, if you want to turn there. But the book of Daniel gives us some answers. In fact, the whole book is, is a conflict motive. That, that runs through the entire writing of Daniel. Because we understand that the adversary is relentless in his attack on God's people. The adversary is, is relentless in his t attack on you. He is absolutely walking around seeking whom he may devour. In other words, he never sleeps. He's constantly focused on tripping you up, getting you to, to get in a situation where you deny your faith. And you say, well, what kind of bum would want to do that? Well, the devil likes to do that. He likes to trip you up. And the only way to stand, Daniel, Daniel 7.25 says, He will defy the Most High and wear down the holy people of the Most High. He never gives up. He constantly pushes against you. Have you ever noticed that? Ever, have you ever noticed you defeat the devil in one area of your life and the next day he's there again with something else? You know what really annoys me about him? I can't stand him, by the way. Uh, he's, the only thing, he's the only creature that I really talk bad about, and I love talking bad about him. But he, you know, he, he comes back. Something that you, that you fell for 20 years ago, and, and you've had the victory on it for 20 years, and he'll come back and test you again. Have you ever noticed that? His, his trick is the same. He is relentless in his pursuit to bring God's people down. And he does it by wearing them down. Like little kids. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? After about 37 of those, you really start getting worn down. My mom was the master uh, of driving with one hand and then swinging her arm trying to get one of the kids in the back seat. So, you know, and when we made her that upset, we knew that the arm God had to have some kind of sacrifice. So we would throw our little brother up there. Ah. Oh. You know, as far as a Christian, as God's people, the only way we can stand is with the full armor of God. 
Paul said to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 6.13, use every piece of God's armor to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And after the battle, you will still be standing firm. See, it's that relationship with God. It's the whole armor of God, the, the righteousness and the faith and the, and the gospel. It's everything that encompasses the Christian life and what we should stand for. And so we need to understand that there are some things in this life that we can, can overlook, but there are some things that are just written in stone that we will stand Another thing I need you to understand is that God uses our circumstances. God uses our circumstances to build the kingdom. And you say, well, I don't know why all this stuff is happening to me. Can you stop for a minute and consider the fact that when you gave your life to Christ, you became part of the kingdom of heaven? And who is the commander but Christ alone? And Christ can use our lives and the circumstances in our lives to advance the kingdom of heaven. Can I, can I, can I say this without... Because you know, if you know me, I, I'm not an antagonistic person. But sometimes we think it's about us too much when it's really about the kingdom of heaven. And if we're really the Lord's servants and we said you are our God and you are our Lord, have we not given him permission to use us to advance his kingdom? That one's free. It wasn't in there. But the, the book of Daniel is just an amazing book. And, and we know that in chapter 2, chapter 2 of Daniel, it's really incredible that, that the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, has a dream. And he has a dream of a giant statue of, of gold and bronze and, and, and or silver and bronze and then, then iron and clay, and he doesn't know what it is. And Daniel interprets the dream and says, King, you have been chosen by God to lead this, this, these four, uh, these, these four uh, what, what word am I looking for here? Kingdoms, there you go, got it, found it. It was in the mind somewhere. Uh, you're you're going to be the head, you are the head of gold. And God is going to use you, and, but there's going to be other nations, other kingdoms that come up after you, and then there's going to be a rock that's going to crush them all, which was Christ. Now, Daniel didn't know that, but Daniel interprets the dream, and here's what Nebuchadnezzar does. He hears the interpretation of the dream. He knows that, that God has set him in that position, and what does he do but builds a statue in honor of himself. The Bible says in, D in Daniel chapter 3 that he, he builds this 90 foot tall statue. The statue is about 60 feet tall and, and the platform on which it sets is about 30 feet tall. It sits 90 feet tall. You're not going to miss it. In fact, if you lived in Babylon and you were giving directions, you would say, go down to the statue and take a left. Because you know you're not going to miss the statue. It was there. It was big. It was amazing. It was impressive. 
it was ungodly. So Nebuchadnezzar builds this and he has this hubris instead of humbleness. And instead of saying, oh, well, God has allowed me to rise in this situation and I'm going to give him and exalt him, he decides to exalt himself. Isn't that human nature? See, the culture of man is always based on a desire to be in control, to advance self and self-esteem and self-image and ego. And Christians are constantly challenged to bow at the altar of humanism and worship man's ideas and man's philosophy. I know that uh, many, many had asked when, when COVID came out and, you know, in the and the vaccine and, uh, came out, and, and I had some people ask me, is this the, the mark of the beast? This is the, you know, and I said, no, no, it's not. I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but I am not a, I'm not in favor of making people, making it mandatory for others to get it either. I think that's just a choice. That's just a hill, and if you want to die on that one, great. But the reality is, it's not a, uh, it's not, the Antichrist, because when it comes to the Antichrist, it's going to be like in Daniel chapter 3. You're going to have a conscious decision to either worship God or worship man. So, that's my public service announcement for today. So, but here's, you know, and in... The, the kingdom was, was taken in 606 B.C., and then in 586 B.C., you have Daniel and his three, uh, three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and, and Azariah, and, and they were all taken captive as well. And I found it interesting, because we call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but that's not their real names. Their names were different, and the king changed their names. And I really found it interesting that they didn't fight back. They said, you could call me whatever you want. And I found it interesting that Hananiah really means, I am blessed because of God's favor. And he was changed to Shadrach, that which means greatness on your own merit. Boy, is that a hill that we fight in our culture today? Did you get where you are because of the favor of God? Or, or are you great because you are so good? So amazing. I mean, it, it kind of irritates me every once in a while. But I don't know why I'm just telling you my personal opinion today, but I'm so sorry. But here it goes. I, I get so tired when, when I hear, uh, especially athletes, that get up and say, I want to thank God for all my skills that I made, used them all. You know, and it's like, no, wait a minute. Are you thanking God or are you bragging that you are there? It's, there's, a, there's a fine line between saying, I, I am blessed in God's favor and then saying that I did it in my own merit, on my own strength, in my own power. God is the one that gave us the strength. God is the one that gave us the, the, uh, the ability to get wherever we have gotten in this life. So I look at that, and here's Hananiah that says, I understand that I am blessed because of God's favor, and yet the king is saying, no, I'm going to change it because you are great because of your own merit. And notice that Shadrach, Hananiah, did not fight it. He said, 
This is not a hill that I'm going to die on. This is not a hill that I am willing to take. You can, you can say that, I, uh, that I've achieved what I've achieved because of my own merit, but I'm going to still say I am blessed. You can call it what you want. See, there's a, a lot in, in as far as the Christian realm. We look, at, we look at that and we say we know that God has blessed us. And yet the world will say, man, I've gotten here on my own. I don't care what you say. That's, if you want to think you got there on your own, that's great. I'm going to still give credit to the Lord. Mishael changed the Meshach. Mishael says, I am who I am because God created me. Meshach says, I am because the king, because society created me. That you are who you are because God has formed you in the womb. Or you are who you are because culture has allowed you to have what you have. And that is a, a powerful a powerful argument that is a hill that many people discuss and, and wage war on. But notice that, that Meshach, Mishael, he did not fight it. He said, you can say what you want. I do know that I am who I am because of God. He formed me in my mother's womb. Azariah simply means Jehovah has helped. And Abednego is actually uh, named after the god Nebo, and it says education and science has advanced me. I love education, I love science, but I also know that education is science is about God, and it's learning about God, and if you ever get to the place that science or education say that there is no God, that your science and education has led yourself down a wrong road, because Everything about true science and everything about true education will ultimately lead you to God. I found it interesting that the three Hebrew children didn't, didn't say, no, I'm going to keep my name and I'm going to do this. They didn't care about that. But when the king made a decree... That, that you had to worship a golden statue of man. That's when the three Hebrew children said, I am no longer going to, to just go along. I, this is a hill that I, is worth fighting for. This is a hill worth dying on. And when, and when culture can, says a lot of things about, about Christianity, and when culture says a lot of things about your own personal uh, beliefs, there's some things that you can overlook. But when it defines who you worship and who you don't worship, that's the line that we have to stand. As, Paul, as Peter said, I would rather obey God than man. There are times in our lives that, that we have to realize that, that if, if whatever is, is in your life, if it's causing you to not worship God, if it's causing you to worship something else, that's a hill that's worth dying for. That's a hill that you will, that you will be rewarded if you stand firm and say, no, I only worship God and God alone. 
So what are some characteristics of, of, of a golden idol? What are some characteristics of, of that worship or the challenges to Christianity? Well, one is simply this, an abuse of power. Nebuchadnezzar misused his, his power. He misused his wealth and thought it was his and thought he generated it on his own and thought he, had, he was autonomous and he had the hubris of, even of the people of the Tower of Babel that he just said, I'm going to make a name for myself. And, and, and he abused the power that God had given him and wanted to use it to get other people to worship him and not God. The other one is, is man-centered worship. Romans 1.25 says, Instead of believing that they knew what they knew was the truth about God, they deliberately chose to believe lies, so they worshiped the things God made and not the Creator themselves. Anytime that, that worship becomes man-centered, you need to question that type of worship. Worship is about acknowledging God. And when we, a lot of times we use worship as uh, singing, but singing is, a, is an avenue. It's a, it's a vehicle on which we can express our worship. Worship is being able to say that God is God alone and you worship him in everything you say and everything you do and in the songs that you sing. It's about giving praise and glory and honor to the King of Kings. Man-centered worship can be disguised in religion. See, being the profane is, is, a natural, is natural to, to the human condition. And any time that, that worship, even within the church, becomes more man-centered than God-centered, I worry about it. I mean, I love a lot of the modern worship. Don't get me wrong, I do. I love it, I love it, I love it. There are some songs that I really wonder and I call them Jesus is my boyfriend songs <laughs> because you just don't know the difference and, and it seems like uh, I need this and I'm doing that and, and it's more centered on, on, on the human than it is on the creator it's more focused on the creation than it is on the creator himself and, and I just I don't know about you but I like it when worship is about magnifying Jesus Christ the aesthetics you know, is not important in worship either. I have a, I have a picture, I'll, I'll show it to you one day if I can find it. it it's uh, over in Vietnam and, and, and the whole church is flooded. It has about, uh, about 12 inches of water in it. And all of these people in these wooden pews, they're standing there in a foot of water worshiping the Lord. Isn't that incredible? They, they realize that it's not, the aesthetics is not in, as important. In fact, how I like to worship, are you ready? How I like to worship is irrelevant. Ooh, I'm picking on me because God says 
there is a way to worship, and I want you to worship my way. John 4, 23, but the time is coming and already is where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. It's important that we realize that it's not the songs we sing. It's not, it's not uh, the things that we do as much as it is that we are worshiping in spirit and we're worshiping in truth. That we are worshiping according to the word of God and we're worshiping on the inside that we as a spiritual being that deep is calling to deep that we're magnifying God in us. And, and I have found that when you begin to really just focus on the Lord, I can worship pretty much anywhere at any time. So, you know, and, and I can sit there and I can fold my hands and, and I can worship that way. And if you decide you want to run an aisle, I can chase you down. It doesn't matter. Worship is not about the things we do as much about the condition of the heart that we're just magnifying Him because He has pardoned us. He has redeemed us. He has given us life and He has given us eternal life and we are going to live with Him for eternity. Another, another aspect of, of, of idols, of, of idol worship, is, is having a spiritual experience versus, versus a spiritual conversion. Nebuchadnezzar had a spiritual experience. He had a dream. God gave him a dream, and Daniel interpreted it, and, and he had an experience, but he wasn't transformed. He wasn't changed into a worshiper of God. It just made him worship himself. He was convicted, but not converted. See, real worship, true worship, extends far beyond just having an experience with God or just having a, a dream or just reading the Bible or, dare I say it, just saying, I accept Christ as my personal Savior. Real, the real worship calls for a spiritual transformation on the inside. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. It's incredible that that, that true experience of worship in us will challenge us to be transformed. That, that when we understand who God is and we understand what worship is, it, it won't just be an experience, but it's, it's transformational. It changes us on the inside, and that's manifest on the outside. And when the scripture says God is looking for those true worshipers to worship me in spirit and in truth, what he is saying is, is that I want my people not to just worship with their voice, not just to worship with their song, but I want them to be transformed on the inside that they love their creator, that they serve their creator, and everything that they do is, is to give glory and honor to him. Because of love. And that's where, that's where the transformation comes from. That's where Jesus said to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and if, if you do those two, you'll fulfill all the law. 
But notice it says, love God first. Not love your neighbor first, love God first. And the reason why you love God first, because your vertical relationship will determine your horizontal relationship with one another. Your vertical relationship with God, if you are in love with Him, if you have a passionate heart to serve Him and, and, and to, to please Him, then your horizontal relationship with one another is, is going to be uh, a, a mirror image of your relationship with God. So if you, if you say, you know, I, I, church would be great if it didn't have people. But, and I've heard this saying, but the reality is, if you're having an issue with people, whether in the church or out of the church, could it be that your eyes have gotten off true worship up here? And when we worship here, have you ever noticed that, that when you're praying and you're seeking the Lord and, and you're really trusting in Him, sometimes people just don't annoy you as much? Have you ever noticed that? And have you ever noticed that when you're not praying? My father-in-law father said when he was dating his, his wife, when they were dating, courting, he said her, her, her voice sounded like just a beautiful little bird. And he said after about 20 years of marriage, it was like, nee, 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 nee. And I thought, well, I wonder, he was teasing. Uh, but I was just wondering if sometimes when our relationship with God isn't right, when we're not worshiping with everything in us, is this making sense? And I'm not, I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just saying this is my own experience. When I allow something to hinder me and I'm not really worshiping him and I'm not really giving him the praise and glory and honor that's due him people really my perspective of people change but when I'm worshiping him I kind of see people in the way he sees people and you can have a, uh, you can overlook a lot of the things because you, it's like, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And, 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 and all the little things just don't seem to, to bother you because you've decided that you're going to worship Him. But it only comes through a true spiritual experience versus a, I mean, a spiritual transformation and not just a, an experience. I'm going to ask our praise team if they would come. You say, so how, how, do I, how do I get there? How do I actually stand? How do I get to that place where, where I can have a, a true experience with God? Well, it's really simple. You trust in God's ability. And you have complete submission to His will. And if you have complete trust in the Lord, and if you have submission to His will, you will have the right outcome. Would you stand with me for a moment? 1 Peter 1.9 says this, Your reward, I love rewards, don't you love rewards? 
Your reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. 1 Corinthians 2.9 That is what the scripture means when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. My friends, we're in this to win it. There are a lot of hills in our culture today. And wherever you stand on those, that's where you stand. And, and, but the reality is there is one hill that you can't overlook. And that's worshiping our Lord. Don't allow anything to come between you and your worship. Because that is the hill that is worth it. Would you pray with me?